Holy Spirit, would you indeed come and bring life through God's word to us this morning. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. Would you take this word that we study and the words that I speak and through them bring understanding for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please would you sit. Why do we do what we do? For instance, why did you come to church this morning? Maybe you usually do. Maybe someone brought you. Maybe you've always wondered what happens behind those big blue doors. Well, when I was studying French uh, at university, I spent a year in Paris. And being a Christian, I got involved in a church there. And there was an old lady, Hilda, I think her name was, who carried her life round in a couple of carrier bags. Well, Hilda used to come along to the church, especially on Monday evenings to our student group. Uh, You see, there was no age barrier. Um, And where we would explore together what we believed and what the Bible said in a very relaxed manner. So relaxed that Hilda usually went to sleep. Maybe that's why she came. A safe, warm place to sleep. I don't know. Several years later... I was in London. I'd just been to a West End show with my parents, so it was late at night, and we were walking back to our car, and I suddenly spotted Hilda rummaging around amongst some rubbish. Well, before I stopped to think how my parents might react, I went up to Hilda, and I put my arm around her, and I said, how are you? Uh, And I just chatted to her for a few minutes, and then I just prayed that God would bless her. Weird coincidence. Probably a lot weirder for my parents. (laughs) We were dressed up to the nines, and I was talking to this woman in the rubbish. But anyway, I wonder where she is now. I hope she is in the kingdom of God. Well, in our series on the kingdom of God, we're looking together at a couple of parables, three parables that Jesus taught, and it would really help if you would find them in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, and I think it's page 980. Thank you. 980. Well, a parable literally means a throwing together. A throwing together of something which is familiar, like fish and pearls, with something which is unfamiliar, the kingdom of God, or as Matthew refers to it, the kingdom of heaven. And the effect of this throwing together was to intrigue the listeners to Jesus and us as we read now, and invite us to stop and think where we might find ourselves within that story or the scene that is described, or where we might want to find ourselves if we're not there at the moment. Well, all of the parables, you notice, 
start in the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, 44, a merchant, 45, and a net, 47. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that there's something merchant-like or net-like about the kingdom. It's the whole story, the whole picture contained in the parable, which points to the nature of God's kingdom. Effectively, each one shows us a facet of what it's like when God has his way, when God does things the way he does them. Uh, Now, parables were an interesting teaching tool for Jesus to use. I'm a teacher, so I'm interested in teaching tools. And when his disciples asked him why he did this, Jesus explained. Now, you'll have to just flick back uh, to verse 11, which is the start of a whole series of parables. We're just looking at the end few. Uh, Verse 11, Jesus explained, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And then verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not understand. Now this sounds harsh, but it's true. God's kingdom cannot be understood through our natural senses. It's possible for people to hear about Jesus. And when he was around in first century Palestine, it was possible to see him and for that to make no real impact on their lives. God's kingdom is a secret kingdom until he reveals it. And then we have a chance to respond to it. So parables conceal as well as reveal truth about God. They conceal truth from those whose hearts are closed and hard. But they reveal truth to those whose hearts are open. Let's be open-hearted this morning. Anyway, parables are more than a teaching tool, though. They are a sign. A sign that Jesus is, in fact, the king God had foretold would come to bring in his kingdom. Look at verses 34 to 35. Jesus did not say anything without using a parable. And so was fulfilled... What was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. The kingdom was hidden before God brought the world into being. And who is qualified now to reveal it? Well, it's the one who was with God in the beginning through whom God made the world, Jesus, the Word, now made flesh. Parables, it seems, need Jesus both to speak them and then also to interpret them. 
His disciples realize this because verse 36, away from the crowd, they ask him to explain to us. And then verse 52, Jesus asks them if they have understood all these things. And because Jesus has explained, they can answer yes. Jesus, please open my heart to hear your word today and put a love of your kingdom in my heart. Amen. Well, first thing to say about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is so good, but you have to find it out for yourself. The kingdom is so good, but you have to find that out for yourself. The parables about the hidden treasure and the merchant looking for pearls belong together. Since they show that people find the kingdom of God in many ways. Some, like the man, probably a poor laborer working in his master's field, stumble upon it by accident when they're not even looking for it. And others, like the merchant, they've been on a long, patient search. They've probably owned other pearls, which make them realize why this one is of such great value. Now, what would have struck Jesus' hearers most, shocked them even, was what these two men did next. After hiding the treasure, the first man, you notice, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And in almost identical words, we are told the merchant went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, this is not sensible behavior. Sensible people hang on to what they already have and, if possible, save up and buy more. Okay? But you can't hold on to everything else and then add on God's kingdom. It doesn't work like that. Where God is king, he is king of everything. And no sacrifice on our part is too great. See, that's the logic of the kingdom. From the outside, it makes no sense. But from the inside, nothing else makes sense. You've got to find it for yourself. You see, God's kingdom works on a completely different basis from the way the world operates. At its heart is the love of God which comes in search of us, sees in us a pearl of great value, and gives up everything, all that Jesus had in heaven, to die to claim us for himself, and in doing so, to buy us a place in his kingdom. So do you see how the pattern that God has set is mirrored in the response he requires of us? There's nothing half-hearted about what God did for us. And when you really meet Jesus and you discover for yourself how wonderful he is, something happens in your heart 
not just in your head, and nothing else comes near it. When the man found out that the kingdom was so good, not only was that discovery sheer joy, but joy too, I imagine, to get rid of all the other clutter. And maybe some of us have just got too much clutter that's drawing our energies and our attention and stopping our view, getting in the way of seeing how wonderful Jesus is. I think it's significant that the parables speak of individuals. It's a man who chances on treasure. It's a merchant who discovers the pearl. Because you have to discover the kingdom for yourself, you personally. You cannot get in because you were born in a Christian family or because you went with your wife or your husband or a friend to church. At some stage, you need to encounter Jesus for yourself. Now, you can wait around and hope to chance upon Jesus like the man, or you can be intentional about your search like the merchant. And if you can't identify with what I'm saying about the joy of the kingdom, and that will be some of you here, then may I urge you to think about joining our next Christianity Explored course. Warm, relaxed, safe place. No, don't go to sleep. Where you will meet Jesus. And you can decide for yourself if he is treasure worth living and dying for. And if you've lost that sense of how precious Jesus is, it might be good for you too to come along. Anyway, see Alan before you leave church today or get an invitation from me. Okay, second, so the kingdom is so good, but you have to find it out for yourself. Secondly, not everyone is in the kingdom who thinks they are. Don't find that out too late. Not everyone is in the kingdom who thinks they are, but don't find that out too late. Well, we've looked at two parables which talk about how good it is to be in God's kingdom, and now comes one bringing bad news for those outside it. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples here, not the crowd. So it's verse 36, if you want to check. So if we translate that to our context, Jesus would be speaking to the church. Now, amongst the first hearers were at least four ex-fishermen, and they would have been very familiar with this picture of a large dragnet, such as commonly used on the Sea of Galilee. So one end gets uh, secured to the shore, and then a boat takes around the other in a big semicircle, trapping all the fish inside, and then hauls them all back to the shore. Now, of course, while they're in the water, one fish cannot easily be distinguished from another. But on the shore, the expert eye of the fisherman could quickly separate the good fish from the bad fish, literally the rotten fish. 
those which were unfit to eat and were thrown away. And now comes the punch. Jesus isn't talking about fish. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. And those of us who for now are in God's church. But may or may not be in God's kingdom. Jesus says, verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age, when God will wrap up time itself and bring in his kingdom in all its fullness. The net, verse 48, will be full. The picture is of completeness, of everyone being hauled up on the shore for that deciding moment when God delegates to his angels, verse 49, to separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. The kingdom of God ultimately will divide people into one of two groups. There is no down-the-middle category for pretty good or just a little bit sinful on Jonathan's picture slide. It's in or out forever. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us here what he means by righteous and wicked. But he's not speaking about whether we are morally upright. Because of the fall, every single one of us is wicked. Every one of us is wicked until and unless Jesus makes us righteous by his blood. Now, depending on where you find yourself in this parable, it stands as warning, challenge, or comfort. I'll go through those. First, Jesus is warning that judgment is a reality whether we like it or not. And he's warning us so that it will not take us by surprise. One day there will be this mighty sort out. And you and I and every single person who has ever lived will be examined individually and judged on how we've responded to King Jesus. But this is the kindness of God to tell us while there's still time to do something about it. Secondly, Jesus challenges us that we should not judge people now. Within this church, there are good fish and rotten fish. Those who truly follow Jesus and those who only seem to. But to judge people, that's God's prerogative and not ours. Challenge. Thirdly, if we know we have been made righteous by Jesus, then we can take comfort that judgment is coming. And within God's kingdom, there will be nothing unrighteous, no one wicked, nothing whatsoever to cause pain or tears or death or all the other horrible things Jess was praying about. It will not be like in this world where individuals get away with appalling acts and wickedness seems to go unpunished. 
God will judge with absolute justice, for nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Well, like Jesus, I want to ask at this point, have you understood all these things? Because if so, there are consequences. There is a therefore. Look at verse 52. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, the word translated teacher designated the scribes, those experts in God's law who could point people to what God had said. And up until Jesus came, such a person would have been qualified to point to the Old Testament, the old treasures. Jesus seems to be saying to his followers, now you are those who understand God's ways. And you have new treasures because I'm the one who has instructed you. I have taught you about the kingdom of God. But with this instruction comes responsibility. We are not to keep our treasure hidden in the storeroom. We are to bring it out where it can be seen so that those who are open can find the treasure of Jesus for themselves. Now, you don't need any special qualifications. You just need to be teachable by Jesus, to keep your heart open, to keep your heart soft towards him. You just need to go on discovering how precious Jesus is. It doesn't just happen. We need to be intentional about cherishing our time with Jesus, whether that's on our own or making time to meet with others. And then we just need to speak and be and testify that Jesus is the only one who can make us right with God. And then God will use you and God will use me to expand his amazing kingdom. Let's pray. And let's just have a moment of silence where we just, Holy Spirit, would you just take from what I've said and and just plant one truth and one challenge specifically into each of our hearts be one longing.
And now I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing in front of you where you sit. And he asks you this question, what do you want me to do for you? And tell him. And now, by the power of your spirit, may your word do in our hearts all that you have sent for it to do, for the glory of your name. Amen.